to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And I want to title today's sermon, The Glory of the Lord Shown Around Them. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. And in the same region there were shepherds out on the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. I think uh, just having gone past Christmas, uh, it's something that comes back again and again. We go through the motions of Christmas, and yet sometimes we forget the message uh, of Christmas. I'd heard the story many years ago, and recently I came across it again, and I thought it's very appropriate for us to, as we think about it, um, there was a story of the uh, little child who ran up to his dad because he heard the uh, circus was coming into town. And this was during the time when the Great Depression, bare necessities were difficult. And, and so the father said, uh, son, but it costs a dollar. I, I don't have that kind of money, but I tell you what. Uh, you earn 50 cents, and I'll put the other 50 cents. So the little child was happy. He went about. He started work, and, uh, and he came back to his dad and says, Dad, I've got the 50 cents. His dad gets him the ticket. The, Danca, the, the day comes when the, uh, uh, when the circus rolls into town. So he goes to town to see the circus, and as the parade comes, and he's excited, he watches all that that's happening, and, and he sees the clown, and, and, and he comes back, and his dad looks at him and says, you're back so soon? What happened? I said, Dad, I went there. I saw this parade. I saw these people come in. I was excited. I saw the clown. I gave him the ticket, and I, I'm, I'm so thank you, thankful to you that he allowed me to do that. And the, son, uh, the father says, son, you only saw the parade. You didn't see the circus. And oftentimes, I think, um, you know, when we go through uh, the emotions of Christmas, sometimes it feels like we, you know, we get caught up in the parade and forget the message. And so what I really want us to come back to, and I know, I know that Christmas is done, but uh, in hindsight, as we take stock, to say that it needs to be about the glory of God. Everything that we do needs to be about the glory of God. And we see here with the verse that we just read, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. You know, so what I want to do is um, go through this passage. We'll take some pit stops. We're going to take seven pit stops, and I'll give you seven words or seven phrases. And incidentally, all of that will start with, the letter S, so it's easy for you to remember. And the objective is this. And the objective is this, right? That if we are confronted by the glory of God, the natural response must be a heart full of gratitude that cannot be contained. If we are confronted, if we say that we know, we have seen, we have experienced the glory of God, there's just no way we can contain that gratitude. And so we need to see how in this passage we can pick that up and make it our own. And so uh, in verse 8, it says, in the same region, in the same region. I started to read this, and I stopped at that very part when it says same region. I know in the narrative, it's important to say Jesus was born, and in the same region, there were the shepherds. But, you know, when you talk about the same region, I want you to understand that in that same region, the divine dignitary who's just come in was willing to share his space. And I'll tell you why. 
I'll give you an example. When we were, I was back in Dubai at, at a hotel that I was to work in, and Tiger Woods came to uh, stay with us in, uh, at the hotel, that is, and uh, he had come because we were hosting a golf uh, match. And Dan and I got to see him and saw him, saw him play. It was an exciting time. But you know what? When Tiger Woods moved into the, when he st- stayed at the hotel, the whole floor w- was vacated for him. The suite next to him was converted into his personal gym. Nobody could stay in that floor. And I had a similar experience at a, another hotel in, in Bombay, India, when an Israeli delegate came in. They just not vacated that same floor, but the floor above and the floor below. And yet when the Lord of Lords, the God of glory comes in, it says in the same region. In the same region is the city of David. And I, and I think about that. In the city of David is born now another shepherd. Another shepherd who was probably in the plains where the shepherd keep, kept watch over the sheep must have been the same place where David fought the lion and killed the bear. I, I, we don't know. But in the same city is now born another shepherd who is also a lamb. The lamb of God. In the same region. In the same region. In the same region there were shepherds as we read. Uh, we, we often say this, the, the status of these shepherds was that of a social outcast because of their nature of work. They were out in the field. They were dirty. They could not be ceremonially, ceremonially clean. They could not go f- for those religious rites that the Jews had to maintain. And so they were not even considered as ones who were believable or even, even uh, clean. Things were not different. If you read in Genesis uh, 46 and 34, we see there that the shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. And it's to these shepherds this privilege is given. This passage as we read, the shepherds are kept watch. The shepherds. You, You see, and I'll tell you why this is important. Because many years later, when Jesus begins to teach... In John chapter 7, verse 16, it says, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? What the Jews were saying was not that, oh, how come he is literate, but how come he is educated in the rabbinical uh, teachings, you know, because to be a rabbi, you have to, be, you have to go through this disciplined uh, training. And even then, they would not teach with that kind of authority that Jesus was teaching. And they were surprised. You see, they had come to believe that God would reveal his truths and that they can only teach and explain to them who go through such a discipline of learning. And so when we talk about the shepherds, the privilege that was granted to the patriarchs, to the priests, to the, to the rabbis is now given to the shepherd. The first gospel declaration, the proclamation of Jesus Christ being born is given to these poor and social outcasts. And right here, Isaiah 61 begins to unfold the prophecy that... Uh, uh, remember the time when the Lord Jesus Christ, when he went back to his city in Nazareth, a scroll was given to him. He opens the uh, scroll to Isaiah and he starts to read. And this is what he says. The Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor in fulfillment of who he is and what he's come to, uh, to do. Preaching of the gospel to the poor. Poor in the spirit, 
poor in social status. And so when that happens, I think this is something that we can take away, that you, know, you and I are not being invited to this divine unfolding center stage. We are included in that. It's so something that happened 2,000 years ago. You and I can be a part of the shepherds, the shepherds. And then you go down to, uh, go down that verse, it says, keeping watch over their flock by night. And, and that, I want to say, is the second pit stop, if you would. The, uh, as the cattle goes, the silent night, it, it, it seemed like any other night. There was no difference to that night, except till the time when God peeled open the heaven's veil, as it were, for those glorious moments. But you know something, why I say that that was also a silent night? Because there were rumblings, there was political and social rumblings happening on earth. When uh, this chapter begins, it begins with the news that during the time was a taxation uh, that Augustus Caesar had started. The taxation was important, but just you know, uh, the the memory of taxation lingered on. You see, when um, uh, before Augustus Caesar began the taxation, the taxations would be in kind. It could be probably a sheep you would give. It it could be grain or whatever. But Augustus Caesar, trying to get more funds, is now saying that, no, it cannot be in kind. It has to be in coins. And it was a Roman coin. And the problem with that was it had the image of Caesar on it. And so Judas, not Judas Iscariot, Judas and 400 people started a revolt against, against that taxation because they did not want to pay what they thought was idolatry. They thought God would be on the side because they're standing up against idolatry. And Gamaliel actually makes reference to it in, Gamal, in Acts chapter 5, verse 37. This is what it says. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of taxing and drew away much people after after him, he also perished, and all and even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. What was happening is the apostles, Peter and John, and the rest of them were brought in front of the Sanhedrin, and they wanted to see how they can silence these apostles. And Gamaliel stands up and says, you don't know if this is of God or this is of man. If this is of God, you'll be seen as fighting against God, but if it is of man, it will, it will uh, petter away. And he makes reference back to, the, back to the days of that taxation. Remember the time also when Jesus was asked the trap question? When the Sadducees came along and he says, is it okay to pay taxes to, the, uh, to Caesar? And what does the Lord do? The Lord says, bring me the coin. Whose image does that, does that coin have? Uh, give to Caesar what bears his image, but give to God what bears his image. That is you and I. And Jesus answers that. And so when Luke's readers read that, even before, even 30 years later, when you know, it was still an issue, and it remained an issue even when, as uh, Luke's readers would write, about the fact that that time when Jesus was born was a time when there was so much political rumblings. So it must have been quite a night where there's this sense of hopelessness seems to increase. And get this, in the light of that silence, in that darkness, God speaks. 
and sends his angel to, to, uh, uh, to these shepherds. Another thing about this text that I uh, understand is, and it's easy to, uh, we probably have heard about this, that it was a poll tax. Uh, you see, when we have taxes, it's based on your income. The amount of income that you have is the amount of taxation that you have, but what that tax was was a poll tax. That is, it was based on the number of heads that you had, irrespective of income. So Joseph was probably not a clever businessman, but he was an obedient servant. And what I mean by that is uh, Joseph could have said, listen, let me go for the census, and then I'll come back, and I'll take Mary to be my betrothed. But he doesn't do that. He was willing to double the taxes that he needs to pay, in fact, even triple it, because there was a child on the way. And why do I bring this thing about poll tax? Because the latter part of that taxation, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 2, this was the first registration or census when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And Syria has been in our minds for the past couple of years and a little more. Not sure if you remember June of 2014, this news broke out about the Christian, Syrian Christian um, around that time, uh, the, the ISIS had commanded that three things to people who were not, uh, who, who, who were of the minority, uh, whether it be Christians or any other religion. They either leave that place or they convert to Islam or they pay the poll tax. It's called the uh, jizya. Uh, it was called the um, uh, jizya, yes, it was called the jizya. And so this, this family opted to stay. What had happened is when it came time for the taxes to be paid, they didn't have the money, and the, the radicals, as it were, they raped the wife and the daughter in front of him, and he committed suicide. And it became a global issue, a poll tax. And so when you hear those stories and as you continue to read this, I want you to understand whether it be the first century Christian or whether it's the 21st century, the ones who are persecuted, troubled or whatever, this is something that speaks to us about saying that there is, this is good news. This is something that God wants to understand. This is good news of glad tidings. That's what's being proclaimed. The silence of that night was ripped apart. In, in some sense, the silence that remained for 400 years has been ripped apart. Go on to the next verses, verses 9 and 10. And an, and, and, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I want to call this the Shekinah of the Adonai. I was reading this in the Jewish Bible. It was just exciting the way they, they presented the Shekinah of the Adonai, the glory of the Lord shone around them. I want you to realize this one thing. This is the glory of the Lord. This is not the glory of the angel. This is the glory of the Lord that shone around them. You see, uh, Gabriel, in the two previous instances, when, when he met with Zacharias and he met with Mary, the first, the things that he would start off with would, would be fear not. And we don't know the identity of this angel. 
But this angel also says, fear not. And now it's not just a mere angel, but it's the glory of the Lord that shone around them. The glory of the Lord that shone around them. We've been talking about this, right? The glory of the Lord. We saw how when the glory of the Lord came on, on Mount Sinai, we, we saw that in Hebrews, how the people begged Moses, saying, the Lord, don't, let not God talk to us. Let, talk, let him talk to Moses, and through, we'll listen to Moses. The glory of the Lord. And that, for the first time, the revelation of God's glory is glad tidings of great joy. A terrible thing that, that the fathers feared that, that killed the priest, the Aaron's sons, has now become a matter of great joy. When we talk about the glory, you know, we, we, we pause quite often, but I think it's good to come back and say this and ask this again and again. What does that mean, the glory of the Lord? We think often of the times when, in Isaiah chapter 6, when uh, Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, the Lord high and lifted up. You know what the seraphim were singing? They were singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the earth is full of his, not holiness, but glory. What the seraphim was saying is that the manifest holiness of God is not separate from him. The glory of the Lord as seen in his holiness. And also, as we read in Hebrews chapter uh, 1, verse 3, we see that, that Jesus himself is the glory, the, the radiance of God's glory. What, what, what the angel was saying here is this, this glory of the Lord is Jesus Christ himself. You see, uh, when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, the, the, he, he understood that the sinful man could have no part with, with God. And what was the solution God gives on that Christmas day? That was Christ himself. And so Hebrews, we, we see that in uh, Hebrews 1, 3, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Whose glory? The glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me just read to you an uh, excerpt from um, the book, Thou Long Expected Jesus, Experiencing the Peace and Promise of Christmas. It was written by John MacArthur. It's written by John MacArthur. And uh, God only whispers in his creation. He revealed a shadow of his glory in the Shekinah. But he speaks with absolute clarity in his word. God spoke, and not in a whisper, but in full voice, but still there is an incompleteness in it all until God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now God is shouting. 
You can't mistake as Christ is God and you can see every attribute of God manifest in him. His judgment, his justice, his love, his wisdom, his power, his omniscience. It's all there in person as we see him walk through the word, work his, uh, working his work, living his life. The fullness of God may be seen as it's never been before in Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the glory of God. He is the express image of God's glory. He is the embodiment of the brightness of God's glory. Jesus is the shining forth of God. God's answer to the dilemma that we had is Jesus Christ. He, in these last days, has spoken to us in his son. The radiance, the brightness of his glory. And so, when we think about the glory of God as the, uh, that shone around him, we see that that Christmas day was, was when Jesus Christ, the glory of God, came down uh, among men. But I want you to understand that till such time, there was no common ground. There was no way that God and man can come together, you see, because in the old covenant, every time the glory of God came, the, the business stopped. Remember the time when, when uh, uh, during Mo- Moses' time when the tabernacle was set up, that when the glory of God came, the priest had to leave the tabernacle, the Solomon's temple. When the cloud filled the temple, the priest had to leave the temple. What was it suggesting? It was saying that the glory of God and man could not dwell in the same ground. They had to vacate. And yet we see that as the promise was given in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 and 6, and it says, they talks the initial part, is talking about John the Baptist. It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall uh, and hill be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places are plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh sa- shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All flesh shall see the glory of the Lord. And so, in this coming of the glory of the Lord is the good news. And we were talking about it, how the, the angel, what he announces is the egaletio, or I evangelize to you the good news, the good news that is now uh, possible to man. And so heaven's gate is made, it's possible, it's, it's opened up because this news is to all people. No more are we the outcast of the society. No more are we uh, set aside, but we're invited to come into the presence of God. But continue on, as in verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The word I want you to remember is the Savior, the Savior. God says this Christmas, the first Christmas that was there, that Jesus himself is the Christmas gift. God's gift to us is Christ himself. Born this day in the city of David. 
Born this day in the city of David. And what You see, when I, when I see this, because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we've been talking about the reasons for incarnation and all of that. One of the things that comes to my mind is Psalm 87. It says, because Jesus was born in the city of David, in Psalm 89, as you come there, it says, the man, he shall be born in the city of God, talking about you and I who, who have not put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that we would be born into, into that city, that we would be born into his family. And Jesus Christ the Lord, our Savior is Christ the Lord. He is Emmanuel, God incarnate. And so what happens now is our transformation, isn't it? Like what, as a result of incarnation and the work that he does because of his death and his resurrection, we see in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we say, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that's the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of the Lord that you and I who are now called, invited to his presence, that we as we behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. John Owen had this to say, one of the greatest privileges and advancements of believers both in this world and unto eternity consists in their beholding the glory of Christ. As what we begin here, we'll continue through eternity, beholding the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And so the question we should ask, if the glory of God doesn't grip our attention, if, if the glory of God is nothing to us, then I think we must ask ourselves the question, what is wrong? We might even have to ask ourselves, are we really saved? Does God really mean anything to us? Because... Because the spirit in us would excite. He will cause us to remember. He'll, cause, he'll bring up that excitement in our heart as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came down. And the consequence of rejecting Jesus Christ, the glory of God who came down. We, we read about it in Romans chapter 1, isn't it? That though, they, though they, uh, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image uh, in the form of corruptible man, and, and it goes, but that's a reference to Psalm 106 where it talks about how the, nation, the children of Israel, they made a golden calf for themselves, exchanging the glory of God to corruptible uh, things into an animal. They, they had experienced, they had seen, they had seen the glory of God on the Mount Sinai, and yet they, they did not hold him more than a golden calf. How does that look for us? When we, uh, when we, when we, when we don't, when, when God is not our excitement, when Jesus is not the one who uh, grips our attention, if it's anything else, we have done just that. We have reduced God in our minds. He bec- whatever that thing is becomes God uh, to whom we bring our worship. And that's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Because a natural expression must bubble over 
with a thanksgiving that this God would come down and that we can even have a communion with him. But keep going down in verse 12. It says, and this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's a fifth pit stop, and the word there is sign. The Greek word for sign is semion, or the finger marks of God. The finger marks of God. But I, I'm not sure if he caught the paradox. You see, the the shepherds had just seen the glory of God that shone around them. And yet the sign that is given to them is that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. The contrast in itself is just unbelievable. To See, if I had seen this glory of the Lord, my next expectation would be that I'd be invited into the palace. I would expect that the city of David, which is sleeping Bethlehem, which is non-indiscriminate, would now be transformed probably into a city which is, you know, which is brilliant and celebratory. But the sign is that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It's a babe. It's a baby. How can baby be the Christ? It's in swaddling clothes. Oh, that really, in, in, at least in one thing, what it'll mean is that if you take that baby, you know, and put, it, put that baby in a nursery of the rest of the babies, there's nothing that'll identify that baby from the other baby. Then he was lying in a manger. He was laying in a manger. That's where, um, that's where Mary laid him. No wonder, you know, we sang wisdom, unsearchable, God, the invisible, love, indestructible, and frailty appears. Lord of infinity, stooping so tenderly, lifts our humanity to the heights of the throne. Oh, what a mystery, meekness and majesty, bow down and worship, for this is your God, this is your God. What the sign is screaming out is that he has become one of us now. He has become one of us. Not just... And not just a human, but a, a, a one whom even the poor can associate with. Well, that's the good news in Jesus Christ, that none of us are excluded, that we are all part, part of it. Keep going down to verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, and among those whom he is pleased. Hear the song, hear the shout, suddenly with the angel, as he sprawl puts it, saying that all heaven broke loose. The excitement that they had, the glory of God in the highest, and peace on earth. This praise that rose heavenward as the peace that came downward. The heaven came down and glory filled my soul becomes a reality because of that, uh, uh, the fact that Jesus would uh, take the form of a human. When Peter, talking to Cornelius in chapter 10 of Acts, this is what he says. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel. And there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. This this second person of Trinity who came down, because of him, we can say now that we have peace with God. 
And so even with the shepherds, as they, as they start to talk, they, they hear the angels and, and it's gone, and, and the shepherds pick up the song. You and I can join in with that. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The shepherds experience that. Notice the seventh one, which, which is the spontaneity. In Luke 17, 2, 17, and verse, uh, chapter 2, 17, and 20, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They, when, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I want you to... Uh, hear the speech of the shepherds as it were in verse 18 it says what 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 do you make of that phrase all who heard them marveled all who heard them marveled is this joseph and mary just there or is it the crowd the milling crowd that had come to uh, to give the senses or is it the crowding of the heavenly host in that cramped cavern we don't know but they couldn't be kept quiet. It, it, it didn't, they were excited to tell the story. It didn't matter that nobody would believe them. It didn't matter that nobody would listen to them, but they just couldn't stop talking. They spoke because they just see the finger marks of God, a babe laid in the manger. A babe laid in the manger. Isn't that the timeline of the gospel? Mary lays him in the manger, and then as Mark 16 records it, Jesus is laid in the grave. And yet it does not begin with the babe in the manger, nor does it end with, with laying, down, uh, laying him down in the grave. Hallelujah for that. And that's the gospel story, that he would come down, and that because of him, that you and I can even... Uh, be found to have this relationship, communion with God himself that was not possible. So the question I ask myself and I want to ask you is, what's our story? Why the silence? Why do we keep quiet? How come we're not excited? How come we, the glory of God has not caught our attention as it did the shepherds, as it did everybody else who saw the glory of the Lord? They were unable to, to stop talking. You know, sometimes we say, I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to say. You can learn from the shepherds. Just say what you saw and repeat what you heard. That's something that we can do. I, I came across a story about, um, um, I think we know the name of this person, Robinson, who runs the uh, ministry among uh, battered women and you know, does a lot of charitable work. And as I was reading this, James Robinson is his name. He has this deep compassion for uh, disadvantaged. And I just want to read this part of the article. It says, he believes that God has a destiny for others that, in often, that is often unseen by human eyes. While others debate the technical aspects of a controversial subject, Robinson feels it on a personal level. 
He will be the first to tell you how thankful he is that one woman decided to keep a child that was conceived from pregnancy that resulted from a violent rape. Robinson knows that he wouldn't be here today if his mother had chosen otherwise. You see, what had happened is Robinson realizes that he was a result of something that his mother chose. And because of that, he cannot but act on the, uh, out of a grateful heart, and he does all that as a global ministry that he has. If gratitude is something that is, should be a response to the glory of God, I, I wrote for here, I wrote this for myself. It says, let, let you know, uh, that gratitude cannot be silenced. Gratitude cannot be silenced. If there's one thing that we can take away, that if we are thankful for Jesus Christ, if we understand in some way who Jesus is, in one point, if I want to leave that with you, if I can leave that with you, is that gratitude can never be silenced. It's something that must well over. You, it's, like the, it's like the pressure cooker that once you start cooking, you cannot keep, you know, you can't put the whistle on it at the weight down anymore. It's something that will burst open the portals of your heart. Silence is dangerous. Silence kills. It's killing millions of people because they haven't heard what the, when the shepherds saw, they couldn't keep quiet. What we have seen and what we have heard, hope we don't keep quiet. The earth come to an end, and if God willing, if he gives us another, that we can say with the, with the shepherds in, in that passage where we, we were looking at in Luke chapter 2, and it says... In 18, all who heard it wondered at what shepherds told them. That this, this year as we end and as the year we begin, that they would, we would cause that wonder, wonderment in the hearts of those who hear what God means to us. And, and in closing, I want to pull up two questions. We said that we'll start doing this so that we can start leaving uh, a thought that we can go for your further reading. So there's two questions. I know we've been talking about it. Why did Jesus have to be born as a baby in Bethlehem? Why wasn't he born? Why was he just like an adult? Why was he born as an? Why wasn't he born? Why was he born as a baby? And probably that was a Jewish expectation because in Ju- in John seven twenty seven it says, "But we know where this man comes from, and when Christ appears, we will not know where he has come from." And uh, the second one is the thing: what, what is the difference between avatars or uh, stories in in most religions where you hear that God came down as man and what is the difference between that and the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ now I want to leave these two questions think about it and it'll be something that will uh, that will you know create that excitement when we start to think about Jesus Christ and the fact that he came down right let me just pray and we'll close father I want to thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that even as you, as you um, open our hearts, Lord, we pray that our excitement would
um, Lord, that our hunger for your word will continue. We pray, Lord, that, that we want to know more about the Son, this one who uh, has, grabbed, uh, has got our attention. We have seen him. We have, as, the, as the writer of John says, we have seen him, we have touched him, we have known him. And Lord, so if we have known that, we pray that we would be like these shepherds who cannot, who cannot keep quiet, that our gratitude would never be silenced. And that our lives would be lived out in a way, Lord, that you would be glorified. That we, we who have seen your glory, that through our lives would, would cause to be uh, uh, the ones how God would be glorified. So thank you again. Thank you for all the heads that are bowed. And for your goodness upon us, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen.